In a recent piece, the essayist and surfer Ken Dorning wrote, In June, as I step into the surf, my board is like my shield, my body the sword, and that's all I need to defend myself in the battles of summer. Sounds good to me, but one has to wonder about the battles of winter. In a second, you're going to see how clever that was. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Drama means nothing when you know what you have Today on the program, Alistair Gale and Grand Dinning. Let me tell you a little bit about the Battles of Winter. Well, there's something that's always churning behind the sound of the Battles of Winter. The London band's music is powered by a steady and dark engine, which hums along like a wicked propeller, conjuring in the process a geometric dream city filled with square avenues rectangular boulevards and angular streets that tilt and bend and twist, but never break. The sidewalks may lift and fall, but the inhabitants of this box-like world continue on, marching mysteriously along through the darkness in black suits and black hats, with matching black hearts and blank expressions that suggest a menace that's a decimal away from detonation. And somewhere at the edge of this city... Pirate ships ease in and out of the hexagon-shaped harbor with uncertain purpose and the suggestion of treachery. Look, the Battles of Winter songs have the post-punk sting of Wire, the groove of Gang of Four, and the melodic delivery of everyone from editors to Interpol. They're a little bit of an elusive outfit. Part of this is due to the impracticality of being in a band and also having a family and a job. But whenever their sail surfaces on the harbor... It does so with lashing exactitude and palpable mystery. Well, they've surfaced for this conversation, so let's get to it. Here's me and the Battles of Winter having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
just be the way it comes across. I don't think it would be really that mysterious. I wish I was more mysterious, um, but I, I don't think there's anything uh, intentional, intentional about our mystery, I'm afraid. I think it's, uh, I think um, it depends. I think if it's mu musically, I think there's a, there is an intended level of mystery and kind of uh, ambiguity. I mean, and that comes a lot from Graham's lyrics, which, I mean, I don't know too much about his songwriting process, bizarrely, um, but, I, but I do always rate his word really highly and um and they i don't know what most of our songs are about in terms of their original kind of concept idea i know i know i know a couple of them and i and it made me think oh that's kind of spoiled it for me so i don't really want to know anymore um and make something up next time but i think i think maybe we come across as mysterious in a way that we're not we're not that we're not that great at social media. We're quite, we're self-deprecating, total kind of, um, uh, what's the complex or syndrome? Um, we've, I mean, I feel like we're kind of faking it um, a little bit. Um, and, and so, yeah, so we don't, we don't, we're not great at promoting ourselves. We just like making music. Um, we don't do it as much as we would like um, for other circumstances and so that maybe helps to kind of come across as slightly mysterious or you know because we're not present all the time we don't we don't put our lives front and center on um, on social media which is the kind of the way now um, and not being the most prolific may also lend itself to that right there's a kind of absence presence to the battles mm -hmm. of winter, which is interesting because when you guys beam in with something, it's like it beams in from a very specific place. And I mean, this sounds like a, like a dig um, and I'm not trying to dig, but when I hear you, I go, Oh, this is what Interpol has been, has been trying to do. And, um, and that, so I'm, you know, I, I like Interpol, but, but I feel like that what you guys do is so fully formed and it comes from this very specific place where it feels like it's coming from a world, like a kind of parallel world inside of the world that we live in. And it feels really authentic to me. So does, Graham, do you write all the lyrics? Uh, almost all, I would, not everything, I certainly, one or two, I think, on the last, on the second album that were, Alistair uh, wrote. Um, and a couple of new ones, I think, that Alistair's written those as well. In general, yes, but it certainly isn't, not exclusively. No. Uh, well, at, at first, it was very much, it was the thing, it was the thing that I could bring to the party. Because uh, I was very much learning to play an instrument as we were developing early on. But I always, the lyrics sort of, almost got me in the door a little bit and then I was able to to work on actually becoming proficient with an instrument after that so I, I was lucky I was lucky it was accepted that I could I could be the, the main the main lyricist so kept me in well the Alistair what is it about those words that he that he writes that you there there because there is a mystery there's a kind of uh, almost like a kind of um 
it's weird. It's like a kind of a postmodern geometric noir. Um, I don't know what you're doing, Graham, but I love it. Like I love what you do, and I and I can't I can't there there is a mystery to how you string it together because it feels like it comes from this kind of very specific kind of night life society. Um, this sort of like a shadowy sort of um, narrative that kind of weaves through. What like are you a guy who has read a lot of mysteries in your life? Is that a, is that a inform your work at all? I do I do find. Uh, books very helpful to getting started sometimes can be can just be a line for instance the the new the new song uh, a floor in the hourglass uh came from reading um the goldfinch by donna tart and it was just there was a sort of an, uh, an unsavory element early on in the book um i think the previous title i can't remember what it was but it had more to do with it then uh, just about, you know, I think it was a uh, an Eastern European sort of uh, mafia yes, type. It was roadside, uh, rooftop, revolver, roadside or rooftop or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that. it was a choice. He gave these people the choice of how they were going to die. And that was what that came from. The rooftop, revolver or what was it, or roadside. Yeah, roadside. and they were, they were the three ways he was offering. And it just, it, was, it just caught me sort of, pricked my attention and I could then do it. Sometimes it would then go off in a completely different direction from there, but that's where it sort of begins. And I also do like, as Alistair mentioned before, the, the ambiguity of a lot of things. I don't really like spelling it out, particularly. So that's only where I come from, you know. Yeah, and also the, so for you, the, the appeal in his writing has the, the sort of the mysterious, ambiguous element, um, where, where brings a kind of universal feeling to it too, where it almost could be anything. People kind of sort of project onto it what, what they like. Um, but what what did you find appealing about about Graham's words when you? Well, I mean, almost exactly that, really. I, I mean, my preferred lyrics are ones that allow you in and allow your imagination to to run and consider what those lyrics are about rather than it being kind of so kind of linear and obvious i mean that's not always the case i love some of those songs that kind of a storytelling as well and have a, a kind of start and kind of conclusion but um i think that kind of appeal that you know graham's written some songs that i interpret in a way which then kind of leads into the way the kind of the, the song kind of evolves in terms of the kind of the arrangement and the music around the lyrics. Um, but, but also I just conjure up a meaning for that song, which um, I know is not what was intended. So I, I have, obviously I have some benefit of kind of being in the band. So, uh, and, Others, I know I've seen some others that kind of really kind of get sucked into the lyrics and try and kind of decipher them. Some of our kind of press coverage and uh, people who've written about the band kind of jump in at the lyrics and try and make a, a guess at what the kind of the song is about. Um, and that re I really like that. I like people kind of just putting their own thoughts into the song. It becomes something, becomes something else. And I think that's a really good. Um, when you're listening to music and you can kind of really get sucked into the to the music and i think nick cave does this quite a lot um 
you can just kind of find yourself kind of wrapped around in the you know the, by this by this song um and you can you can just kind of be in the song and you can kind of your thoughts can kind of travel along with it and that kind of ebb and flow of the music and the kind of trying to consider what the the songwriter was thinking or what the words are the meaning behind the, the words i find really kind of fascinating you know just i think it just elevates it somehow um now that sound maybe I said we were self-deprecating. That kind of sounds like we're not, but I, I mean that's just my experience. More about um, kind of when you when you get to think about the words and they don't just kind of pass you by, and you can kind of think, oh, that's an interesting line. What where does that come from? What does that mean? And it you know just kind of hooks you in that way. When when you are in a battles of winter song, you know specifically where you are. Like in other words, even though you don't know really where you are in, in sort of the timeline and the geography, but the feel of it. Is very clearly so Graham when you're writing are you because I with my own work I all of my stuff stuff seems to take place now in this kind of mythical um, surf city where terrible things happen um, and it feels like like you know I'm informed by Edward Gorey as much as I am by maybe the Smiths uh, but to access that place is I know where I want to be but but to access it is I can't always get in do you feel, because Battles of Winter to me feel, the lyrics feel that, that like you do better than I'm doing it, where I'm trying to get it, but you seem like you're always in that place. When you're writing, can you always be in that, in that spot where the songs take place? Yeah. I, are you, do, do you mean, I, do I sort of put myself there? Because I wouldn't, I, no. Musically, we, we, we tread, you know, our albums are quite, I feel that our albums are quite cohesive. And they do have that, the, the feeling running through them. But lyrically, it's not always the case. I don't always have um, uh, a clear location in mind, but then maybe I do. I don't know. That's a try. I think that's quite a tricky one. Um, I don't, I quite like the, the idea of lyrics being, I don't know, just slightly, it sounds terrible to say it about my own thing. But have a slightly make me sound a bit more intelligent. <laughs> Simplicity. Sometimes, if, you're, if I accidentally fall into it, I have to yeah, I have to physically stop myself and think. Right, that doesn't sound right. Uh, my brother actually once told me he referred to my lyrics in one particular song, and I can't remember was as clunky, mm. as in difficult, and almost uh, have no place in a song. And that, from that moment forward, I've done nothing but attempt to make all my lyrics as clunky as possible. <laughs> and I don't the, just have he, words. It was the nicest thing he's ever said about. Get, <laughs> words that don't always get used in songs. I quite like that. I find um, uh, Ben Gibbard from uh, Death Cab for Cutie puts really un, uh, sort of not unfashionable, but. Um, words that don't you weren't expect to hear in a song the songs do more often than not i don't know what, you know i always think that they have a people use the same words all the time so i like to throw in ones that are a little bit uh more out of the ordinary and that causes alistair more problems than he does anyone else because he's got to manufacture them into the into the music somehow but as for as for a place yeah, I don't feel I have to occupy somewhere like a mind space in order to write anything. Things come and go. And I 
I can, I really can, once I've got the thread, I can bash it out quite quickly. But like, I suppose that maybe that's what you, you're looking at really, is can I, once I've got that in with a few lyrics, then I think they flow quite well. But yeah, getting that in is not always the case. It yeah. does can take times and, you know, abandoning one set of lyrics for another and then moving on with those because they give me my in. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. And I, and I think it's interesting yeah. to me that like when you, <laughs> when someone gives you a note, like this is clunky, uh, I like how your thought was, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make it clunkier then. And, in, in, you know, instead of like, oh, let me see if I can, <laughs> let me see if I can please you for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm curious to know what, what made you decide to tunnel ahead with the clunky. I mean, clunky we're using in the pejorative, but I don't think, I don't really think it is. Um, but what made you keep going in that direction? And then I want to know for both of you guys, like how are you with, with taking, taking criticism of any kind? I think the clunky, I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong, but I think the clunkiness was in reference to one of my favorite set of lyrics. And I think that was what made me want to travel further into it because I really liked what I'd written. Uh, I think it was um, Sainted Galleries. That was the song. And I can't remember the particular lyric, but I really liked it. And I think, well, do, yeah. Do I listen to someone else when it's, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, uh, um, a criticism from him. I think, you get used to, you know, traditional ways of songwriting and what you hear. Maybe just that was the first thing that came to him. I don't know. So, well, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be uh, difficult. I just thought, right, I liked what I did and I want to do that again. So. Right. But it's easy to be scared away, I think, artistically when, I mean, I was trying to know if you, you know what I mean, when, when someone says to you, like, oh, um, that sounds a little bit whatever, and it's not what you were what you were hoping that they would say. Um, and I think that depending on how, because we're all pretty fragile people in terms of like our egos, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit. I mean, I've I've had friends. I, I just wrote a, a new book, and a friend of mine said to me, "Yeah, I read it. Nah, didn't like it that much." And I went, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so, I mean, but how do I change that to make that person like it? And then I kind of thought, "Well, that's a fool's errand." Um, so in, in other words, what I, what I want to know is I'm curious to know how you, how you guys handle criticism and how do you, and this is good for people to hear at home who are aspiring artists of any kind, is like, how do you stick to your guns and know it, those are the right guns to stick to? When we did our, our first demo, we shopped around, I don't know, probably about 15 years ago. Um, and there's, it's, there's still, it's still on the website and I included, I wanted to include some of the, uh, some of the uh, the criticism of that first demo that was written and it's still available on the into on the internet um and so it was a demo i think it was three or four tracks it was called we called it early skirmishes um and you know looking back it was it was it deserved the the criticism i think that it that it received um but obviously we didn't know that then um we were still we were fine we were finding our way graham was learning bass i was I kind of the singing kind of fell to me, and it was, it, you know, it was this thing that we, we were kind of evolving, 
Um, but we haven't really had, other than that, we haven't really had that. We're not, we're not of a status that drives uh, positive and negative criticism. We don't, you know, we, I think people take an opportunity to write about us very occasionally if they like it. Um, no, I've, I've probably had some lukewarm, similar to your your story there. Um, we probably had some lukewarm responses from friends and family, and you think, oh, I, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more there. I, I think for us, as long as as long as we collectively like it, and I I do very I think I mean you know thanks to things like Spotify. I, I do it does come up on a Spotify playlist you know our own music kind of turns up and I might stick on a, a playlist that Spotify has recommended just because I want to I want to hear what they've got for me um, and then an, an old tune of ours will come up um, and, uh, and I think oh this this sounds pretty good still this this kind of holds up well and I then kind of think oh what was this sandwich between on the playlist and think oh yeah do you know what that 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 didn't feel out of place next to Radiohead or, or whoever, really? in, Interpol, whoever it might be. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I would care that much about the criticism. I think we we enjoy it too much. We get something out of it. Um, I, you know, we know enough people that also get something kind of positive out of it that I, I kind of find. The whole idea of kind of writing about music, which is such a subjective thing, um, you know, like like storytelling, reading books, it's so subjective to the to the individual. It's you know, if you don't like it, fine. Um, just 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 use some good words to describe what you didn't like about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be lazy um, with your criticism. If there's been a bit of criticism, that's all it's been. We've never had a proper panning. That's what I think that might be a different uh, situation if someone was so vehement in their dislike for us, then that might, yeah, that might make me think differently about them and about it. I don't know, but it hasn't happened yet in that bad. Yeah. There's one that, there's one that sticks in my mind though, which was a really positive review of our first album, um, but they scored it down because we'd only, because it only had eight tracks on it. <laughs> I remember that. It's like okay. I mean that. <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was. You know, it, it was lean. It was lean. It was eight tracks. It was about thirty-six minutes long. But it specifically referenced that it, it it couldn't score it higher because it only had eight tracks on it. Which I thought that's a an interesting take. But then anyway, there was that, that one stuck with me. Well, there's like the sort of like the civilian response too, because I remember when I was in high school, um, this girl said to me, "Oh, I really like your shirt," and I went home and I said to my mom, "We got to find fifty more of these shirts because <laughs> because like you know she likes something, and now I want to I want to replicate it as much as I possibly can. I've been noticed, and um, I think sometimes when someone gives you feedback, I mean, forget the press, but even just people that you know and love." Um, who will say to you like, oh, I really like that thing that you did, or I didn't like that thing that you did. Um, the temptation is to want to cut or add, um, you know, ba based on the response. And I think that's probably a dangerous place to get into because it can probably, it can probably muck up 
what you're what you're trying to do. It's too many too many voices. So you have to kind of I guess you have to kind of learn to sort of um, figure out like am I capturing the thing I'm trying to do, like you were saying, Graham, and, um, and not let those voices really inform, inform the work. But if, the, but if the voices keep saying the same thing, like if 25 different people say like, what's happened to your hair, then you, you sort of have to wonder like, yeah, what, is, what is going on that people are saying, no. right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but also, yeah, again, maybe we're not at a stage, have the like Alison mentioned before, the status where enough people are put, putting forward uh, their opinions about us um, to put us in that position. You know, I suppose if you're if you're a very well-known band who has you know famous records, then it probably and not backlash, but opinion may well have more um, more effect on your your future output i don't know mm. so you talked about interpol for instance uh i think they almost tried to replicate their first record and it, i don't know what i still can't tell you what was wrong with that record that second one i just didn't like it but i loved their first one uh and there was i don't know it was almost you know track three was there to imitate track three on the next album and it just but it just lacked something so i don't even know how they could have been instructed to make things you know you either got to go do what probably all the best bands do and your sound changes as you go forward trying to replicate the success with something similar i think that is a, that's that's difficult and i think that's what bands moving forward in their career will probably struggle with the most not sounding the same, but still keep wanting to keep the same people liking them. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it comes to a point where you where you feel you can tell certain bands have been reading the press. That you you mm -hmm. can tell. I mean, I think on a on a on a much more public, like you know, Taylor Swift albums, you can tell that she that she was very aware of what people were saying about her because sometimes the songs are directly in response to here's what mm -hmm. someone said. So that's on on that level, and then there's sort of um, on on other levels, you can hear bands have um, are doing what you're what you're saying. But you guys are in a really unique position where you're not relying on the band to put food on the table, right? Mm. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that's that also makes it feel like that the imposter syndrome is the thing that I was thinking of before. So, you know, we are, you know, I think we're. we're we are not a, uh, as Graham said, we're, we're not prolific. We've got other responsibilities. We've all got families and jobs. And um, I think you know, I, certainly I have a kind of a, a feeling of not, it's not a regret, but you know, I would, I would love to be able to devote more time to the band and have a, a, a more um, kind of frequent output. Um, and, but at the same time, I don't want to pretend to be a band that we're not, um, you know, we're not, you know, we are, we are where we are and we're not, um, we're certainly no Taylor Swift or Interpol. Um, you know, they've, you know, Graham mentioned about kind of being instructed for, um, and we're not, we're not instructed by anyone because we don't, you know, we're, we're recording for ourselves and, you know, we'll find a way to get it out there. Um, whether it's putting it out ourselves or, or sometimes, uh, we'll get some label kind of interest 
um, but we're not beholden to anyone. You know, it's it's usually kind of a label that we put out is because they really like it and they want they want to put it out and be associated with it. Um, and aren't aren't we're not signed for any kind of long term deal or anything that kind of puts us under any kind of pressure to deliver at any kind of pace or uh, any kind of type of music. We just find our own way as and when we kind of get together and uh yeah it's so um yeah it's it's much more kind of fluid but a, a very kind of slow pedestrian rate <laughs> oh. and so it, it's interesting to hear it being called as a kind of a, a unique position in a kind of positive way which it is of course um but we probably i don't necessarily always look at it like that i see my family and my job as being a kind of hindrance <laughs> 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 they're, they're here they're here obviously um hopefully they didn't hear that <laughs> um the well i do think that there that there is something to be said about the idea that you can swing really free because of that um because you would imagine that if if battles of winter was how you paid the rent um or the mortgage or the groceries or the you know whatever um that would be pretty that would be pretty uh, in, there's a lot of intensity to that, but I wonder how how does the pilot light of the band stay lit um, when it's sort of in this kind of diffuse? Because what I love about I, mean, I love the band, and it, the band always sounds so unified to me, um, and like like a band that's been together for 25, 30 years, it's so specific. But how do you keep how do you, creatively how does that creative pilot light stay lit when you do have other obligations when you convene as the battles of winter how does it stay how does it stay so cohesive i mean that's a that's a really good question um i i mean graham i i haven't got a clue i mean we i i genuinely i think we do you think because we are we are naturally we are friends we are friends who who hang out and go to gigs and go to the pub and generally what do we talk about we talk about music music and football are generally what dictates most conversations maybe cinema and then other than that to that i don't know it when we get together uh, socially it, it's as if you you haven't been apart and maybe the same goes for the band when we get together things haven't been lost we still know exactly where we're picking up from and i i just think it's because because we we're we're a group of friends rather yeah. than we don't we've never you know there's never been any animosity between us we don't have arguments generally we, we work you know there might be a disagreement on the direction of one thing or another but it doesn't take long before it's it's you know thrashed out and i get my way well i mean there is also one way to preserve a friendship and a band is to not get into a van and and drive from gig to gig for six yeah. months because you'll want to kill each other right so you you haven't had to do that so you or you haven't done that and that probably has been in many ways <laughs> preserving well, yeah i think i think it's a really good point i think we we probably all share a similar level of kind of frustration when those gaps um, 
occur and we're not getting together and and I think there's that feeling of kind of making up for that lost time whatever has been the cause of that lost time so we we are I, 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 yeah so it's it's an, an excitement and an eagerness to to try and kind of make up for that gap and um and we don't I don't I don't I mean of course we waste time we try things they don't work we move on and um and sometimes songs take a, a lot more kind of energy and effort to kind of come together um, that, than others um, do. But I think we're all, we all, we all want to hit the ground running when we do get together in a studio. And, um, and it's only really because of the last kind of 12 months that we've, we've started to do music out using modern technology. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're very much a, with four guys that get together in a room and there'll be a demo, you know, there'll be a demo, there'll be Graham's lyrics and a kind of a sort of a kind of a, rain, a song kind of there that I would have kind of worked on probably acoustically. And then we're, then we're really keen to bash it around and kick it about and knock it into something um, that, that we're all really kind of content with um, and a bit of trial and error. And like Graham said, we're, we'll, you know, everyone has the freedom to kind of, chuck in whatever influences they kind of bring into that room on the day um, and some things work some things don't um, and we never we never get kind of sidetracked by that it never kind of tend, you know it never leads into a, a kind of battle um, that, that causes any kind of friction between anyone in the band so we're we're quite focused when we do get together it's just been kind of long gaps between
is, what were you guys doing at 19? What was happening at, at 24? <laughs> like, what was going on? Like, were there other bands? Were there musical endeavors? Did you come to this later? Like, what's, what, what is the backstory? There were, I mean, we, myself and Graham met, we worked, we worked at the same, we worked for a publishing company. Um, I think Graham was temping and I'd been there a little longer. Um, and I had a guitar, I think, but not one that I'd ever spent a long time ever kind of doing much with. But I really loved music. Uh, Graham really loved music. Graham bought uh, a sophisticated uh, Amer American slant to uh, my music taste, introduced me to a load of bands that I hadn't kind of crossed my way. And so we were just, we were just really into, we were just big music fans. Um, but I think we also looked like that we should be in a band. Um, I remember, I think someone I worked with entered me into an unsigned band competition with some mates of mine because we weren't a band, but he just thought we just looked such, we looked so much like a band that he felt sure that we would do okay in this competition on that alone. I was less certain. Um, but it was, so I kind of, I'd, I'd been in a studio maybe once or twice and me, me and Graham kind of had a bad, kind of got together with someone else from work and, and an old mate of mine who, who was really good on, uh, he played uh, kind of Hammond organ um, and we were kind of very different sounding and with a different band name. And that was just messing around really. We went into a studio, it was much, it wasn't really serious. You know, we had some songs. Um, we probably tried a couple of covers, which we don't do. We don't generally do covers. Um, we can never agree on what we do. Right? We can never agree on them. And I, for me, I don't know, in a way it kind of always, almost feels like a bit of a waste, waste of time. I'd rather do our own, I'd rather create our own than, than try and kind of cover some, something else. Um, so yeah, we, we were new. What, I don't know what age we were, but it's, um, um when, when I was 19, I kind of moved from kind of the coast, like the kind of Southwest English coast to move to London really into like, so early nineties, um, you know, it was a really good time for music in you know generally um or it certainly felt like it then um you know had so much happening kind of everywhere before before kind of Britpop came along and kind of ruined it though i say that i say that being very much into my Britpop at the time mm. um but kind of looking back kind of less fondly on on about 90 percent of it um and yeah we were just we were just big music fans at that stage and it wasn't really until we came kind of close with Graham I don't know when that was probably early 2000s um and the White Stripes record we met in 1999 it was 1999 we met so you guys were like so, mid 20s when you met yeah I was 12 yeah yeah, so, yeah early 20s yeah so um we had Graham had to steal uh, by the White Stripes, but we we barely, we just where we worked at that time. We just had this little area of an office where myself, Graham, and Lucas eventually 
um, who is the guitar player in the band, um, just basically sat on our own away from everyone else. We could have our own music on um, and, you know, it was just, it was an enjoyable time and we listened to a lot of music and, but it was White Stripes, which was the real catalyst because of its kind of ornate simplicity. Um, it was like, wow, we, do you think we could have a go at doing something like this? Mm, um, really well. And, um, and of course we're, it's not simple because Jack White is, you know, is, <laughs> is a very kind of accomplished music, accomplished musician, but it sounded so straightforward and, and, and simple. Um, and uh, I had a guitar and learned how to tune it and play some chords and Graham, I think borrowed my brother, my brother had a bass guitar, which Graham borrowed. There was another guy that we worked with who uh, took some redundancy and and use some of that money to as this was our first drummer um use some of his redundancy money to have some drum lessons and and then lucas joined the band having been in i think lucas had been a singer in another band um which we should not talk about <laughs> you can get him get him on a zoom <laughs> What, is it because the band, what, they, you didn't like the band or, or because? Uh, perhaps is, uh, I mean, they, it, uh, they were a comedy band for, for what I could tell, oh. uh, you know. Uh, yeah, so, Lu but Lucas had always, so Lucas was the singer in that band, but I think had always kind of aspired to be a, a guitar player. Um, but he, again, he, but he's, Kind of learn his kind of guitar playing kind of as we've as we've been in this band um because there were other guitar players who could play guitar in the band that he was in before so he didn't really get near a guitar in, in that uh in that band um i mean we were like yeah come yeah come on you know we worked with him he was a mate of ours yeah join the band you can be the guitar player sure um and it was uh, and we kind of all learned, you know, what, and and it kind of grew, we didn't go into it thinking we want to sound like this, we're going to try and kind of copy these guys or this sound. It just happened that it was just the merging of all the, the kind of, the lack of musical kind of talent that we had um, and our influences just kind of all kind of merged together and and that's kind of the sound that, that came came out. But there seems to be, Graham, you seem to have a real sort of Catholicity of taste. Like you, you seem like you, you've mentioned Death Cab, you've mentioned the jam, um, and you sort of got, you got Alistair sort of out of the, which I guess was a very, you were a very British minded in terms of what you were listening to. But Graham, you seem like you were all over the place. What were, how were you finding all, you know, in terms of the music you were finding, like in, not that it was American underground stuff, but you seem like you were attracted to more American stuff than, than Alistair was. Well, yeah, I think uh, just the guys that I actually grew up with, um, you know, there was, there was sort of five of us who you, from the age of 14 and 15, would go off to gigs. Um, you know, I grew up in, a, in, a, in a, a town called Northampton in the Midlands, and um, we had one venue, but it was always, it was on every single band's tour. They would always come to the Northampton Roadmender 
and we'd always be able to get tickets and we'd, we would go and see everybody all the time. Uh, and it's just my group of friends. We, we just fell in, fell in love with, uh, with Pavement and with Sebado. That They were sort of my first true loves of music, those two bands. And from there, it, 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 the path it sort of found itself. You'd always, there was just one band onto the next band. They all seemed to play in other bands anyway. You know, if you think of the of Pavement going to the Silver Jews and you think of Sebado going backwards to Dinosaur Junior. So you had, there was quite an easy path for me. Um, and then it was the Flaming Lips going back to um, <laughs> a band I've completely forgotten. So, um, what's his name? Goddess on a Highway. That was because oh, Mercury was, Rev, yeah. Mercury Rev, it was that, that was the album, wasn't it? That really cemented your sort of newfound love for American music, right? It, well, I'm sure it was that. Yeah, so Graham, I mean, it was, we were like two teenage lovers where Graham would make me mixtapes, but they weren't mixtapes, I think they were probably min mini discs because we they really embraced the mini discs. Yeah. I remember those. Um, <laughs> they were great. Um, and yeah, so I think I'd been much more, I came from, as I said, I, I didn't grow up in London, so I, I grew up in a coastal town where if the, the music scene was kind of chart house music, um, when, when, when kind of Indian rock started to kind of become more popular um, in the early 90s, uh, in where I grew up in a seaside town, it was all Soundgarden um, and uh, Black Hole Sun would just be played around the clock everywhere. Um, and I just, it was either that or, or a band called The Levelers, um, who I don't, do you know The Levelers? Yeah, there's, only, there's, only, so, uh, there's only one way to... Uh, no, there's only one way of life, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they, for some reason, again, because I think, I don't know why that, there was this hippie kind of, it was a surf town. So I, I grew up in a place called Cornwall, um, a place called Newquay in Cornwall, which is a, a surf town. It's, you know, it's got that kind of thing going on as well as um, it being a kind of classic British seaside town. Um, uh, so this, yeah, kind of a combination of like, there's a part of town which would be slightly cooler than the, 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 the rest, but, and it would play kind of grunge music. And I, I just didn't get on with grunge because I was hearing it everywhere and it just, um, and there was lots in the music press around here at the time that was really anti, you know, that, that kind of, I remember the cover of Select magazine so well where um, Brett Anderson was kind of draped in the Union Jack and it was kind of that anti, Nirvana, anti kind of American uh, kind of infiltration uh, from the grunge scene. And so I let so many, so many great kind of bands kind of just pass me by until, until really I kind of met Graham who kind of unlocked the door. Um, you know, um, he's right, kind of Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev were definitely a couple of the, the early ones that, that kind of appealed to me. I'm trying to figure out why there was so much grunge being played in a in a seaside British town is it just because it was so popular at the time it was just you couldn't avoid it I think I think so I think there was it, I mean it was definitely popular I mean it was huge you yeah, know, yeah. Nirvana and um, 
Soundgarden and, and others were, were just so massive. I just, it, you know, looking back now, it, it, it felt right for the place that I grew up in. It was, it wasn't, it, it actually, I was, I was the one that didn't kind of take to it, but actually it, it kind of slotted in quite well to the, the places that I was going. The music kind of fit with the, with the vibe of the town. Um, it just, I, I did, I was out of sync with it. Um, and in the end, I, I couldn't wait to get to somewhere like London and, um, and I, there were no venues in court. There were no venues. There were nowhere that I could go and see bands. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't really, I didn't have kind of Graham's experience of being able to kind of go and test out my love of, of load of bands. It was what I was reading in the music press or what I was kind of hearing on the radio or, or I'd take a punt or I'd take a punt on, um, you know, I remember kind of buying, seeing Jesus and Mary Chain in a, in a bargain bucket uh, like um, I forget the uh, Darklands was like 99p on cassette. And I was like, oh, that looks like a cool cover. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that, and and loved it. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, but I was into the Stone Roses and and stuff. Obviously, you which, which you've written about. Um, yeah, I was just a, a slightly more kind of traditional, very much kind of English, British centric um, until the late 90s, say. Well, it's interesting because I, growing up in the Bay Area of California, I was obsessed, Graham, with Northampton, which might surprise you. Uh, but I can see the look on your face. You're like, what in the fuck is he talking about? Uh, I was obsessed with Northampton because I was a massive fan of the Jazz Butcher Conspiracy. Okay. Which was Pat Fish's band. Um, I don't know. Okay, so that was that whole like Glass Records thing, and then there was a there was a link to Bauhaus because David J played bass uh, on occasion for the Jazz Butcher. Yeah. Um, and so for me, my I, brother was a big Bauhaus fan. What's that? My brother was a big Bauhaus fan. I wasn't. I wasn't really into them until later, but I was such a huge fan of the Butcher. So I don't know if you were, was he on your radar at all? Not really. I, was, I don't know if I was just a bit younger then. My, my brother's. Seven years older than me, and I'm yeah. He that would have been more more his era, I think, than mine. So yeah. No, I, so no, I don't. Not I'm not a, a hugely open knowing. I don't know much about that really. So. Well, that was a whole like Glass Records kind of era, and I was obsessed. Yeah. I was just like because it, he he did a th he did what you guys do, where he created this world and. Um, and the world was so convincing in its humor and in its poetry and in its heartbreak um, that it was just, it was intoxicating for me. So I had this sort of like Northampton scene, it became a mythical place to me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, nice. yeah. It's lovely to hear. Yeah. Have you been? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't been, but. Uh, but yeah, slow, slow ties from Northampton, I believe as well, isn't he? Who is? Do you know slow tie? The rapper, no. Oh, he yeah, he. I believe he's from Northampton as well. So and he's doing certainly on these shores. He's doing very well indeed. So well, who knew? I had Kitty Malco on the show, and Kitty Malco's from Northampton. She's she's originally Scottish, but she was raised in Northampton. And her her tagline was, "Everyone in Northampton's always in the pub." So you'll see, and 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 Pat from the Jazz Butcher said it's very true. Like you'll run into anybody in the pub. Is that in Northampton? Is that true? Is it that small? There were quite a few pubs, so you could, yeah, you'd always find someone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I always feel like, someone asked me, they said, well, what do the Battles of Winter sound like? And I said, and I could be totally wrong, but, they're, but I feel like it's a mix between Wire and like a Raymond Chandler novel. Like, I just feel like it's, and then it's somewhere in between that is the Battles of Winter. We should use that. That sounds good. <laughs> well, has, this is a weird question, but have you guys ever played live? Has, have there ever been a Battles of Winter series of gigs that have happened? Yeah. Could you call them a series? <laughs> well, over, over a number of years. I mean, yeah, a series, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we, we play live. We, unfortunately, we played a lot of gigs in the early days when we weren't really cut out to play live. Um, I don't want to be too, I, I definitely don't want to kind of be negative against, uh, obviously we were all finding our feet, but it turned out that playing live with the drummer who had just kind of had a few drum lessons wasn't, wasn't a great idea. Um, and I was, was, I was of, helping, I don't think. <laughs> well, yeah, so, um, so we, we did, we kind of hit the London kind of, pub scene I guess small venues um, and played quite frequently I, as I kind of recall it back then or see it or certainly kind of look back and think it was quite frequent uh, and then we had um, then we had a gap kind of before Martin joined the band um, and yeah we we haven't played live I don't know how, how long it's been um, we get invited to do kind of occasional kind of shows I'd, I'd love to play live all the time um, because I think I think we're pretty good live um, on our day I think and I, I think um, there's still that noisiness which we cannot quite get on record isn't it there's we always we always strive to get the noisiness that we do create when we play live we still I still feel we don't quite get there. yeah we're 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 definitely, you know, and and this is the case, I guess, for most bands. When you know, we, there is a there is a polish on the recorded format which we which we don't care for when we play live at all. We don't want to try and sound like the recorded version. We want to be noisy. We want to, um, uh, we want there to be feedback. Uh, you know, we we want this cacophony of kind of sound that happens. Um, that is. That is quite difficult to replicate in a studio. I mean, we do quite a lot of live recording, but um, uh, yeah, live is we. So we yes, we have. Uh, we don't not nearly enough. Um, and I would love to go out and play some gigs at some point this year, and um, maybe next year is more realistic. Yeah. Was the was the pandemic actually in many ways? I mean, it's a it's a very short list of good things that came out of the pandemic, but do you think in many ways it was good for the band? Were you able to focus more on the battles of winter than you could normally if there was real life happening? I don't think so. Uh, really? It, it, it's, yeah, because we, I don't know. I, I, the, I, the fact I, that we I haven't been able to get together is, is, a, is a problem, certainly for me and my, yeah need to be playing my guitar more often the bass is not a, a a lovely thing to hear on its own certainly not the way i play it i think 
And I don't think I think my family would share that sentiment as well. <laughs> they don't walk I mean, into a room. Hey, what's, what's that? They, they walk into the room think, Hey, well, what's what is that? So it's it's not been great for me. I don't think. I think um, yeah, it's been. I think it's slightly different for me. I think I, it's given me. I have been frustrated by a lack of kind of opportunities to to kind of do band things. Um, not band as in outlawed, uh, <laughs> but band related uh, things. But um, but when those opportunities do arrive, I have kind of grabbed at them. Um, so I feel like we're in a really good, quite a healthy position in terms of songs that are kind of ready, you know, reasonably quite formed when we do get back in the studio um you know kind of graham's kind of been continuing with kind of lyrics not not a kind of a, a, a again just kind of prolific rate but if i kind of push him you know it doesn't take it doesn't take you too long to kind of then send something through which kind of then feeds my appetite and then i can get working on on some demos so we've we've got a few songs that i think I think I feel quite positive about kind of going in and and playing them with the band. Um, I mean, the the songs that we we record, we were really lucky that we we did some recording literally I don't know two or three weeks before before the seriousness of the pandemic was kind of really understood, and when we went into lockdown here, um, and uh, and that was the last time that we were together. So that was kind of end of February last year, and we haven't. You know, this is the first time I think I've seen you, Graham, because we haven't, we don't, I haven't, other than the, other than the quizzes, I don't, we haven't thrown ourselves into, we chat all the time, um, but we don't, we haven't been doing video calls, kind of, um, yeah. but, um, so yeah, I've, I feel like it's, when those, I've kind of really taken those opportunities when they have come around, and I feel like my guitar playing has improved, I feel like oh. I've really, bizarrely i just have you know an unplugged electric guitar kind of sitting in the corner of my a room downstairs but, you know even if i'm just waiting for water to boil to cook the pasta for the kids dinner i'll just kind of go and pick it up and have five minutes you know kind of uh messing around with an idea which i've kind of really clung on to i think it's given me just a bit of breathing space between homeschooling and work and all the other kind of crap that's kind of occurred over the last 12 months <laughs> do you guys live far from each other well i live so i live on the south coast a place called just near a place called hastings where the famous battle was um and it would take me uh well i suppose the only feasible uh way to get into london from here is on the train properly uh it would take me a couple of hours wow to get to and then the other two boys live um, west. That's right, isn't it? They live west of London, a bit closer. But yeah, so Alice is the only one of the four of us who still lives in London. So it yeah, is, so, yeah, it's not at the drop of a hat anyway. It wouldn't. Be, I mean, we'll be prepared once things allow us to get back fairly quickly. But yeah, I can't pop round. I can't pop round the corner and say hello and sit in his garden and play anything, unfortunately. Or how, yeah, I mean, are Graham? Have you been writing? Have you been writing a lot in the last year? I wouldn't say a lot. I've done, I've done a few. The nature of my uh, employment. So I'm I'm a self-employed uh, builder. 
So I have, I've pretty much worked the entire time. Uh, first, the first uh, period uh, where we went into our first lockdown, not long after we recorded, I, yeah, I, like a lot of people, I felt like I had, couldn't be outside and I was at home with my children and um, schooling them. And that, I felt at that point, I was a lot more prolific. And I would pick up my guitar on a daily basis. You know, they'd be all squirreling away with their, with their schoolwork and I would be overseeing it whilst wearing a pair of headphones and carrying a guitar around. Um, as it got to the point where I went back to work, which would probably been in June, and for the rest of that, I've been working constantly since then. Uh, I, I must admit, I haven't found loads and loads of time. I think that, yeah, the initial part of lockdown, there was time. Uh, I'm back into the, uh, into the swing of you know, working a lot. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a retained firefighter as well. So that's been going on quite a lot as well. Um, plus, you know, doing, renovating homes and things like that. So I don't know, I've actually probably had less time. Yeah. But once I get into that groove, like I said before, once I get that thread and I get that in, it doesn't take me a long time. I can, I can, write, a, I can write a set of lyrics in a couple of days that I'm normally happy with. And then they get edited a little bit once they, once they move into the, the song structure that Alistair creates, then there might be a little bit of editing because certain, you know, certain things don't quite fit. But it's, um, I don't, I don't agonise. I don't find I agonise over lyrics. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes, I can't say it every time, but in general, yeah, once I've got that in, it is quite quick. Um, and I think because we haven't been getting together, I also haven't been pushing myself to write constantly. Um, it's that, that the old, the, the same old thing where just life gets in the way quite often. Yeah. Quietness, quietness in my house is a rare commodity. <laughs> so finding those little, uh, pockets is hard um who knows maybe i maybe i'll even look to find one tonight and write some <laughs> well it's interesting to hear you say that you do that you build because i find that in your songs there there is a kind of architecture that's uh, lyrically that that's um that's happening it, it it feels it feels like you're in build in and out of buildings and there's construction maybe it does sort of filter through uh, subconsciously I don't know uh... yeah well look I love your band and I and I selfishly I wish you had 50 albums but I, but I'll take it I'll take the slow drip as it as it <laughs> as it comes but is there an is there an album that I mean you've released two amazing songs um will the those are obviously in preparation for the next eight song album or is that going to be <laughs> well we did eight on the first, nine on the second will we go for ten <laughs> Come on, you guys! You can hit, you can hit ten songs. We might, yeah. Maybe we should aim for that. No, well, I, I think we've got some nice ones in the pipeline that are sounding really, really good. One I absolutely adore, and if I had my way, we wouldn't do any more to the demo that's been made that Alistair has made on his own. I wouldn't touch it. 
What song but, is that? Or do you know what he's talking about? We, which one's that, Alistair? Come in, what we called it. Um, you know the real. Oh, what's it called? Not the Ark. Circus, circus Prayer. Oh, that Circus one. Prayer. Yeah. That one is so good. So I just love it, and it's 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 got a lot of space in it, and sort of haze, and it just sounds to me. I would leave it. But that won't happen. Will two it? plus the singles—that's four. Well, there, yeah. I mean, we've got—I've got a couple of others in the works. So we're—we're we're kind of—we are already kind of pushing six. Um, you know, yeah. We'll see. I think for me, when we went in to record in February last year, it was—it was a little—it was a little bit in the back of my mind. Let's just kind of go and see. Does this still work? Do we? Do we do we come out with something that we think is has any value? Um, and it wasn't planned that that would then kind of necessarily kind of lead on to to an album. It was really a kind of an experiment to work with. We, we'd never really been produced before, um, so I think I think you can kind of I th not to say I think the production is poor on the albums. Um, now I'm just gonna, I'm just going to be joined by someone. Okay, let's see. Uh, I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to put it away. Graham, you take over. I'm going to go and move to another part of the house. Okay, <laughs> you do that. Right. So if I can continue where Alistair left off. Uh, yeah, our first two records were very much, uh, I'm, I hope I'm not doing anyone down. They were engineered, I believe, rather than produced, maybe. Um, and... Um, so Kevin, this time, who was behind the desk, had a, seemed to have a lot more input um, and a lot more, gave us a lot more advi advice that wasn't just about little things. There were slightly bigger brushstrokes that he was responsible for. I see. Um, and it was... Uh, just, so just how that the um, the previous single, Rockest Falls, how that opens up with that funny little, I don't know what you'd call it. He, I can't remember what he called it. Just the, just the way it kicks off. And it was very much his, it, it was, he had come to see us in, in our um, rehearsal room and thought, right, you know, his first thought was, oh, I've got this really good sound that I think would suit the start of this track. And it was that that was the sort of thing we weren't used to. It's been very yeah, much so. we've gone in, everything was fully formed with I'm not saying no room for reinterpretation, yeah. but we were pretty we, we felt we had our, our all our songs down and the structure right and we knew when this was happening and that was happening. We went into this one with maybe a maybe with a less stringent outlook on what we were gonna come out with. Because uh, we knew we had someone who was willing to uh, play with it a bit more, I think. Yeah, we, we he challenged us. Sorry, I'm back. I'm back in a different room, but I'm back. I'm back nonetheless. Um, I think we wanted that challenge. We wanted to be pushed, and he did both of those things. I think he he. I don't. I don't. Again, I don't want to play down his part. I think 
he just he made us a better version of ourselves is is, is what i think he, he did he he pushed we, he wouldn't settle he wouldn't he'd say you know i remember kind of lucas we we, we might have thought I don't know what we've nailed that we've nailed that vocal and he'd go no let's let's do that one more time or, or, or a couple more times i think you've got a better one in you and he just kind of worked as hard and i think we hadn't we hadn't had that before it, like like graham said it was we had engineers who knew what they were doing and they did you know they'd worked with some really good bands they, they took their direction from us you know and and we ended up with versions of the songs which sounded pretty true to how they sounded to us in in kind of the rehearsal rooms whereas this was this was a much more kind of interesting i think experience where we had that other opinion in the room that that just gave us a bit of challenge and just kind of said well what about try this on the vocal and it just gave you a few extra ideas which we really really kind of took to uh yeah it was and he wasn't afraid to, he wasn't afraid to be a bit more critical than he? he was he was probably of, of the, the people who have done stuff to our records before he was the most critical of what we were doing but yeah you felt like he it was you felt that he he had a vested interest that it wasn't just i'm going to get paid at the end of this um mm. once, once they've kind of run down their hours on the clock it felt like no, I want to make this the best because it's going to have my name attached to it. I want to make this something that I'm kind of proud of as well. Mm. And I think we, you know, and that that was really important. And like I said, it kind of, it just made us, I think we all just kind of tuned in to this kind of work ethic, which he kind of, which he drove. Um, and I think it just allowed us to be a bit more um, open to ideas and, and just run with them, I think, just to try things. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, I can't, I can't wait to go back in and, and have the same experience again. Well, I mean, I, I can't wait to hear more stuff from you. I mean, you guys, I mean, truly, I can say to you, you're one of my favorite bands and um, I love what you do. And I'm, I'm, you know, I can't wait to hear what comes next, but I hope you'll, I hope you'll both come back on the show and, and, and talk about it when it, when it comes time. That'd be lovely. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd, yeah, really would. Okay. Um, yeah, how often do we get to talk about things like this <laughs> to other people? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. other living yeah. people. Um, but no, you guys are one of my favorite bands, and I and I just your work speaks to me in a way that um, I I really respond to. And so um, you know, keep up the great work, and um, you know, you've always got a fan here in San Francisco. We just need a couple more and you, we can lure you out for a gig someday. <laughs> oh, how good would that be? Yeah. That would, that would definitely be on the bucket list, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time and chatting with me. I know that you guys have busy lives and, and people who need you, but um, but it's it's really gratifying to, to meet you both and to talk to you both and to tell you how, how fond I am of your music and you guys are, are the nicest of guys. So thank you for coming on. Oh, Alex, thank you. Uh, it was a real pleasure, and it was great to meet you as as well. You know, we really value, like I said before, kind of the support that you've given, but also, you know, just your just your taste in music. <laughs> uh, not just because you like us, but just the the show. You know, I I do listen to the show when I get a chance, and there's always, you know, there's always it's so eclectic, but there's always really good kind of. Um, musicians that I might not otherwise have kind of come across. So cool. Um, 
Yeah, it's brilliant. There you go. The Battles of Winter. Really cool guys. We'll bring them back. That was a fun conversation. Keep up with the Battles of Winter on Instagram at, predictably, the Battles of Winter. It would be weird if it was like Blink-182. That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, it's the Battles of Winter. Keep up with them on Instagram. Check them out and uh, get to know this band. They are marvelous. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. I am on Twitter, uh, unless that Musk guy really does come through with the threat to buy the thing. At uh, Ember's editor is where I am there, or on Instagram at Blink182. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, it's Ember's podcast at Ember's podcast, or uh, email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine. Com. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. I think that's it. Is that it? Yes. Let's do uh, a longer listen to the fabulous Battles of Winter, a track that we opened the show with, Block S Falls. What a track. It's got some sting, some dark sting. And I don't mean like sting the soul cages sting. I mean like the real sting. All right, Block S Falls, the whole thing, right here. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'll see you next time. Oh, did I forget to tell you? I think I did. You know this. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available basically on all podcast platforms. So go to the one that you use. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tell all your friends. Let's get back to the end of the show. Block S Falls, the Battles of Winter. See you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here. On Bombshell Radio.
Oh 